The Gospel of Luke, chapter number 10. Luke chapter 10. In the continuation of our series on biblical discernment, from verses 38 through 42 of Luke chapter 10, I want us to identify several fundamental truths being emphasized by God as it relates to our personal worship of and our service toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And I personally believe this singular portion of Scripture has all the godly wisdom we need to help us be biblically balanced and biblically discerning in the day-by-day choices we make. I'm convinced that if we would allow the truths of this passage to govern what we do at Calvary Baptist Church, if we would allow the truths of this passage to govern how churches operate in general, it would untangle a great deal of unnecessary problems for us. The title I've given my message tonight is, One Thing is Needful. One Thing is Needful. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much with much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, having read this text, let me begin by giving you three points of observation and then conclude by giving you three points of application. And beginning with the three points of observation, let me begin by taking careful notice of Mary's desire. Mary's desire. Verses 38 and 39. Now it came to pass, as they, Christ and His disciples, went from Jerusalem, having been at the Feast of Tabernacles, that he entered into a certain village. And we know this village to be the village of Bethany, which was the town Lazarus, Mary, and Martha lived about two miles outside of Jerusalem. The Bible says, And a certain woman named Martha received Jesus into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now, it's important that we recognize from these two verses that Martha was a true follower of Christ and a faithful friend of the Lord. Martha had a genuine longing to serve Christ by showing hospitality to the Lord. And it's vital that we do not overlook or dismiss this critical detail Though Martha, as we have read, receives a corrective word from Jesus, we must not assume that she was void of the same faith and the same love for Christ that her sister Mary had. 
Nothing in this text and nothing in Scripture would lead us to believe that Martha did not have a genuine desire to honor Christ with her life. Though she obviously had a different personality than Mary, though we find Martha a little bit more outwardly agitated and outspoken than Mary, we must not deny the fact that she was a true disciple of Christ who wanted to show Christ her love for him by serving him in her house. In the reading of this account, we must not quickly pass over the fact that Martha received Jesus into her home because Martha desired Christ to be with her. She wasn't careless about Christ passing through Bethany. She did not say, Jesus is nearby? Ah, oh well, I don't care. I'm too busy to do anything for him at this time. No, the text tells us that hearing that Jesus was nearby, Martha wanted Jesus to dine with her. And that's the truth being established in verse 38. Nevertheless, in verse 39 we read that when Jesus came into Martha's home, Martha's sister Mary sat at Jesus' feet desiring to hear his word. Now let's take a moment to make sense of what Mary is really doing. To sit at the feet of someone was the ancient posture of a disciple who desired to learn. It's said of the Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 22, that he was brought up at the feet of a Jewish rabbi named Gamaliel. Paul willingly sat at the feet of Gamaliel, learning what he had to say from the Scripture. Gamaliel was his teacher. Paul wanted to be his student. So when we read here that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, we find here in Mary a humble, teachable, hungry desire to know more of Christ's teachings. Being persuaded that never a man spoke like Jesus. Being persuaded that Jesus was God in the flesh. Being persuaded that she had so much to learn from the Lord, Mary wanted to listen attentively to Christ's instruction. Mary wanted to capture every opportunity she had to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. She knew Christ, but she wanted to know Christ more. She wanted to know Christ intimately. She wanted her relationship with Christ to become closer. So we read... As Christ comes into Martha's house, that Mary remains close to Christ, sitting at his feet, desiring to hear him with great eagerness and great affection. This is Mary's desire that is emphasized in verse 39. And then looking to verse 40, we find a contrast being painted for us by Luke, which portrays what is taking place in Martha's heart. And this is the second main truth of the text. In verses 38 and 39, we see first Mary's desire, and then in verse 40, we see Martha's disturbance. Notice it with me. The text begins by saying, but Martha, as opposed to Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus earnestly desiring to feed her soul with the truths that Jesus is speaking, 
Martha, on the other hand, was cumbered about. She was distracted by much serving and came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister had left me to serve alone? And if you do, tell her to help me. So we see Martha's disturbance. Can you see this particular scenario in your mind? Picture it. Jesus has come into Martha's home. She has a sincere desire to please Christ and make everything perfect for him. So she goes into panic serving mode. And I imagine it's something like this. Jesus is here. Oh, let's see. I need to offer him something to drink. I need to make sure that I have my bread cooking in the kitchen. I need to make sure that the kitchen counters are cleaned. Oh, no. Did I sweep good enough? Was the living room put into order? What if he stays for dinner? If he stays for dinner, what am I going to cook then? Those of you who are homemakers who give yourself to hospitality know something of Martha's panic, don't you? It's likely that Martha is going back and forth from the kitchen to the living room, doing everything she can to see that Jesus is properly cared for and served, all the while eyeing her sister Mary because she is sitting there like a lazy bum at Jesus' feet. And every time she goes back and forth from the kitchen to the living room, catching her sister by the eye, this animosity both towards Mary and Christ is building. Martha is like a boiling tea kettle that reaches its shrieking point and cries aloud. Verse 40 tells us that while Martha was busying herself with all kinds of serving, she came to Jesus and said unto him, Don't you care that my sister is not doing anything? Jesus, don't you care that I'm the only one serving you? And if you do care, Jesus, then tell my good-for-nothing sister to help me. That's in the Greek. Good for nothing. There's only so much one person can do, and I can't do it all, Jesus. So help me out. You see Martha's disturbance. Her disturbance stems from her own anxiety. Her disturbance developed from a false understanding of what pleases Jesus the most. You see, Martha thought that Jesus would be most pleased with much serving. So when she saw that Mary was not serving at all, she became crabby, irritable, and critical and demanded that Mary should get in the kitchen at once to help serve Jesus in a tangible way. The text says that Martha was cumbered about. She was distracted by much serving. And the Greek word truly indicates that she was drawn different ways at the same time. You see, Martha's problem was not in working hard for Jesus. Her problem was that she became distracted with much serving that it led her away from Jesus. Martha's problem was she got so lost in serving Jesus that she forgot to sat at 
Jesus' feet. She forgot to sit at Jesus' feet. And becoming preoccupied in herself and in her work for the Lord, she became frustrated at who? At Jesus. So she became spiritually agitated toward God, which then caused her to become bitter toward her sister. One of Martha's greatest problems was that she thought, catch it, she thought her busyness equaled her spirituality. And listen, Martha did not commit a scandalous sin here. There's no violation of a known commandment of God. Nevertheless, her excessive zeal became a very real snare to her soul. So this leads us then to consider in our third point, Jesus' declarations. Jesus' declarations. In verses 38 and 39, we see Mary's desire. In verse 40, we see Martha's disturbance. And then in verses 41 and 42, we see Jesus' declarations. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful, thou art anxious, and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. And Mary, the one you're mad at, hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Now, in these two verses, Luke, the physician, is highlighting how the great physician dealt with Martha's disease. And so he gives a remedy. And by way of correcting Martha's thinking, Jesus gives two simple yet straightforward declarations. Declaration number one. Martha, you are in the wrong. That's the first declaration that Jesus gives. Martha, you are not thinking properly. You have allowed other things to draw you away from the best thing. Martha, you are troubled about with many unnecessary things. You've created your own mess. Martha, I appreciate your desire to serve, but your service has become a snare to your soul. Declaration number one, Martha, you are distracted. Declaration number two, to Martha, Martha, Mary, your sister, the one you're mad at, has done nothing wrong. In fact, she has a very important lesson for you to learn. Martha, one thing is more needful than your busyness, and Mary has chosen that which is needful which is the business of her heart being right with God. Martha, Jesus is saying, it's important to understand that worship takes priority over work. Personal fellowship with me takes priority over fulfilling some duty you've created in your own mind. Personal communion takes place over religious commotion. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, who we are for Christ is more important than what we do for Christ. Martha, I know you mean well, but you're lost in service. You're going, 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 doing, 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 but your heart is not right in the sight of God. 
You've not taken time to sit at my feet like Mary. You've not taken the time to put your mind on eternal things. You, your affections are not put above. You are distracted by earthly cares. You see Martha's problem? In this moment, she was serving Christ in the flesh rather than the spirit. She got so distracted in the doing that she became spiritually weak and it negatively affected her relationship with Christ and others, which is the first command. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. Martha blew it in this instance. She wasn't following the great commandment. So Jesus had to give her a rebuke. Now with these three truths of the text ringing loudly in our ear, I want us to examine our own hearts. I want us to examine the practices that we often encourage and allow in the worship of God and in the service of Christ church. And I want to present these things to us so we don't fall into the same trap that Martha fell into on this particular occasion. And let me just remind you that this particular account of Scripture has been inspired and preserved for us by God, and it has been inspired and preserved for us in God's Word because it's profitable for our admonition, for our warning, and for our learning. So therefore, it would do us well this evening to take heed to the truths and principles of this text. So with that said, let me give you the three points of application. In this text, I see first, a common temptation. Second, a driving principle. And third, a subtle justification. First point of application is a common temptation, a common temptation. I believe that God is pleased to show us Martha's failing in this occasion to show us a temptation that all Christians deal with. We are all like Martha from time to time. And the temptation, as I've already alluded to, is the temptation to believe that busyness equals spirituality. We believe that doing for Christ is more important than being for Christ. On the one hand, we are saved to serve, as faithful preachers of God's Word would remind us. We are to be busy about the Father's business. The night is coming when no man shall work, so we are called to be like the ant, Proverbs 6, and be busy about the work of God. We are to give ourselves to the advancement of Christ's kingdom. That's on the one hand. But on the other hand, our first and main priority is not service, but worship. Man's chief duty is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. One thing is more needful. And this theme we find repeated throughout Scripture. One thing, one thing is more needful. David, the man after God's own heart, Psalm 27, 4. One thing, he says, have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Paul, Philippians chapter 3 says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. 
forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's there in Philippians 3 where Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Well, he's a saved man. What's he talking about? He wants to know him. He knows him, but he wants to know him. And then Jesus emphasizes in our text that the one thing that Martha needed to prioritize over her service for Christ was her communion with Christ. But our temptation is to become like Martha, isn't it? Most of us, for most of us, it's, it's easy to busy ourselves in a ministry than to pray or even to read God's Word. It is. Listen, it's not hard to have a group of women prepare for a church fellowship for hours. Buying decorations, putting up decorations, buying food, preparing food. But for some reason, it's difficult to sit at the feet of Jesus for 20 minutes. Listen, it's not hard for a group of men to come to work day and labor for five hours on the church property. It's not hard for fathers to take their kids to this school event, that sports practice, this program and activity at the church, but it's difficult for some reason to come to church and worship alongside other believers. Most of the time, it's easy to serve and it's harder to sit at the feet of Jesus. Do you know why this is? Because sitting at the feet of Jesus is a spiritual battle. It's harder to sit at the feet of Jesus than to work physically. Listen, Satan may not be mentioned in this passage, but I see him lurking in the background. And I see him tempting Martha to just keep busying herself with non-essentials. I see him trying to get Martha focused on that which is physical so that she misses that which is spiritual. Oh, don't get me wrong. Martha thinks that she is in the spiritual realm serving Christ, but we find that her heart becomes so out of tune with Christ, which leads her to serve Christ in the flesh. And that's exactly how Satan wants us to serve Christ. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. The devil doesn't mind if we serve Christ outwardly. Matthew chapter 7 again. The devil doesn't mind if we serve Christ diligently just as long as our hearts are out of touch with the one that we are serving. He doesn't mind if we're busy in church so long as it leads to being frustrated with others because our frustration will lead to comparing ourselves among ourselves which will lead to division among the flock which will lead to dishonoring God's name. Are you listening? Satan can use good and noble things to keep us from the best thing. And this is one of the greatest temptations I see among Christianity today. I see many well-meaning, many sincere, many zealous believers, pastors, and churches wanting to serve Christ to the exclusion of knowing Him intimately through communing with Him through the Word and prayer. And sadly, we, like Martha, have caused our own frustration 
If I've seen it once, I've seen it a thousand times. In fact, I have personally felt this subtle spiritual poison lead me to a place of burnout and spiritual barrenness. We let the save-to-serve mindset trump the save-to-worship mindset. So we go, go, go. We do, do, do. We serve, serve, serve. We busy ourselves with everything and anything that comes across our path. We refrain from saying no to other people and things. And then the church comes alongside of our busy schedules and says, we have this fellowship and we have this activity. We have this ministry. We have this meal, this breakfast, this lunch, this dinner, this brunch, this, that, and the other thing. Before you know it, we are like Martha cumbered about with many events, much serving, earthly distractions which can lead us to do Christian ministry mechanically. And all the while we are becoming more and more dry. Have you been there? I've had well-meaning Christians who were serving in four to five ministries in a church at one time. Confess to me that they haven't really been in their Bible for months. Oh, they're teaching God's Word to others on Sundays. They're singing choir specials. They're overseeing various ministries of the church, but they've substituted their serving Jesus for sitting at the feet of Jesus. In fact, some are so busy serving the Lord in church ministries that they have no time to receive the teaching and preaching of God's Word when God's word is being preached. This is the trap that all of us are capable of falling into. All of us are capable of falling into the trap of thinking that being busy serving the Lord makes up for our sitting at the feet of the Lord. All of us are capable of falling into the trap of exerting more energy in what we do for Christ over who we ought to be for Christ. And in case you're wondering, this is why I don't encourage, like some churches, all the bowling nights, softball teams, breakfasts and lunches and dinners and activities. Why? Because all of that can easily become a subtle distraction to our spiritual walk with the Lord. These things are not wrong or sinful in and of themselves. But one thing is needful. Now, As a pastor, I'm called to give myself to love my wife, to care for my children, and to shepherd the flock by giving myself to prayer and the ministry of the Word. I don't have time for all these non-essential events. And I wonder how pastors have time to oversee all these things. Again, these things are not sinful in and of themselves, but they can become a distraction. We can go bowling night for three hours, but have we been in our Bibles? Have we been in the Lord in prayer, truly? Have we sought His face? Are you with me? God forbid that moms and dads are so busy serving and fellowshipping with other believers at the church while they neglect their parental responsibilities. God forbid that our children grow up thinking that they, mom and dad were busy serving others, but they were rarely at home. God forbid that we should get so busy going and doing for Christ that we neglect becoming more Christ-like by sitting at the feet of Jesus. What do we learn from Luke 10, 38-42? We learn that Martha's temptation is a very real temptation, and it tugs at our heart often. The second truth that we need to learn from our text is the desperate need 
to be like Mary and prioritize sitting at the feet of Jesus. So the first point of application is the common temptation. We're all tempted to become like Martha. The second point of application is a driving principle. We all need to strive to be like Mary. That's it. That's the driving principle, being pushed to our hearts by Christ in this passage. The driving principle is seek first in all that you do the kingdom of God and Christ's righteousness. What would God have us to learn from this tale of two sisters? He would have us to learn that everything else is secondary to Christ feeding our souls through His Word. Now listen, I'm going into preaching mode. Parents, one thing is more needful than your kids being busy with sports, vacations, entertainments, and fun. Husbands, one thing is more needful than making sure that your wife and children have a nice home, making sure that you have a nice car to drive and lots of money in the bank. Wives, one thing is more needful than for you to look pretty on the outside and make sure your home is ready for HGTV to come by and take pictures of how you cleaned. Church member, one thing is more needful than for you to commit to every ministry, fellowship group, and activity the church offers. The thing that is most needful in our marriage, in our child rearing, in our friendships, in our church fellowship is our personal godliness. Everything is secondary to that. Everything else can go as far as I'm concerned if we're not seeking to walk with God. Everything is secondary to seeking God, including our own family. It's possible to prioritize family over God. It's possible to prioritize family activities over sitting at the feet of Jesus in your day-to-day reading of God's Word and in the coming together and sitting at His feet by listening to preaching. It's possible to prioritize work over God. Well, I don't have time to sit at the feet of Jesus because I've got to be the man. I've got to be the provider. I have to go to work. I have to make a living. It's possible to prioritize fun and entertainment over God. I can't be a part of the church. I have to take my kids here. I have to take my kids there. They have this practice. We were invited to so-and-so's house for the Super Bowl. We have to watch the football game. We've got to witness all these trashy commercials while we skip church. I'm still in preaching mode. Riddle me this. What shall it profit a marriage? What shall it profit a child? What shall it profit a church? What shall it profit a ministry? What shall it profit your testimony if you are busy running wild, doing, 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 while your love for Christ grows cold? And then you end up burning out, becoming a has-been or a used-to. Come on, think about it. Think about it. I'm speaking to myself. There's this outward expectation. There's this undue pressure that I get from my peers, from my pastor friends who say, Pastor, why is your church so boring? Why aren't you doing this? Why don't you come golfing with us every Monday? 
Why don't you go to this fellowship? Why don't you do this program? Why don't you have this ministry and this activity? Well, our church does this because our people like this, so you should do it too. I sense it. My wife comes back from the retreats talking with other pastor's wives. And you know what they say to her? They say to her, Miss Rebecca, the first lady of Calvary Baptist Church. No, they don't say that part. You're the pastor's wife, right? My wife says, yeah. Then they say, well, what ministries are you over? What groups are you leading? How many people are you discipling? How much food do you prepare for all the fellowships? And then they go, well, I do this. I sing specials. I counsel 10 ladies. I'm at the church every other day. I'm helping with this. I'm helping with that as if they're some sort of assistant pastor. And meanwhile... We can see right through it. Meanwhile, their souls are becoming weak and their children are wanting mommy to be home to shepherd them. Sometimes those busy serving start complaining that they are the only ones doing anything for the Lord. What does Luke 10, 38 through 42 teach us? It teaches us that one thing is more needful. It teaches us that sitting at the feet of Jesus ought to take priority in our lives. We need to constantly be examining what we are doing, how much we are doing, why and to what purpose we are doing it, and whether it is keeping us away from that which is more needful. And let me just say, sometimes this requires outside help. Sometimes it requires humbly asking the Marys to speak into our life. Sometimes it takes going to our children and asking them of their opinion. I haven't left preaching mode. Parents, I challenge you. Go to your children sometime and ask them their thoughts. Don't excuse it. Don't correct them. Just listen. Ask them to be perfectly honest. Say, listen, say this, parents. If you can change anything in mommy or daddy's life, what would it be? Is there anything in my life you would like me to do better? Is there anything that I've done to hurt you? Is there anything that bothers you? Do you think that I'm out of balance in any area of my Christian life? Do you see me being a Martha? We've done this with our children. We've tried to make this a practice. They see us and know us more than sometimes we know ourselves. You say, well, my children are just immature little monsters who don't know anything. Are you so proud that you won't humble yourself before those who see you and know you the most? Do you want to be helped spiritually or not? Then be willing to take the reproofs of Christ that are spoken by others. Be humble enough to listen to the concerns of those who know you the best. Sometimes we need to humble ourselves and go to the Marys and say, speak into my life. Am I out of balance? Help me. I want you to speak into my life when I'm in that merry-made mode. When I go extreme serving mode, you, you come to me and tell me to be balanced. And by the way, if your child says, yeah, mom and dad, let me tell you something. I think we should skip church more and go to Disneyland. I think we should skip church more and go to the park. Remind them very graciously, that one thing is more needful. And daddy and mommy has chosen that good part. 
Tell your children kindly that you love them, but you love Jesus more. And then the third and final point of application I want to set before us is a subtle justification, a subtle justification. So in our text, we have, number one, a common temptation. Number two, a driving principle. And then number three, a subtle justification. Now, this third point is not directly emphasized in the text, but it's something that we need to be careful of in order to remain biblically balanced in all that we do. Don't lose me here. Because the point I'm about to emphasize is just as much a temptation as Martha's temptation. It is just as subtle, just as dangerous, and just as foolish. It negatively affects our spiritual growth just as much as much serving is. So here's my point. Sometimes we can foolishly justify striving to be like Mary that we miss out on the opportunities to grow in the Lord through serving. Ah, you like the pastor's part where he was getting after the Marthas. we got to remain balanced. Sometimes we can tell ourselves and others that we are doing that which is more needful, that we begin to sit, soak, and sour. For instance... I find it very interesting that there are many who busy themselves with various Bible studies and church services who rarely, if ever, roll up their sleeves and serve others in a tangible way. I find it interesting that 30 men will show up for a men's breakfast book study on a Saturday morning while only two will show up for visiting other widows in the church. Uh Uh-oh. This is the men's and women's retreat philosophy. We want to go to the fun retreats. We want to be fed spiritually and physically, which is a noble thing. But please don't ask me, don't expect me to be involved with anything associated with the church when I go back home. Help me out, men. I can't serve in a church because I'm too busy praying. I'm too busy reading my Bible. I don't have time for my family because the pastor said I need to sit at the feet of Jesus. So I'm reading the works of Jonathan Edwards five hours a day. I don't have time to come to work day because I have three online Bible studies on Saturday morning. Do you see how the pendulum can swing? Both ways. Do you see that there's a ditch on both sides of the road? I'm just waiting for all the women to run to my wife after the sermon. I can't help out with nursery anymore because the pastor said I need to sit at the feet of Jesus. (laughs) Then my wife goes into panic mode. I didn't say that. I said we need to be balanced. And by the way, this is why we strive in church ministries here at Calvary to only have a certain number of times where people miss the preaching and teaching. We don't want people out all the time. They need to be fed. It's great that people are serving in Sunday school. It's great that people are serving in ministry. You not only need to serve, but you need to be fed. If you only give but do not receive, you will become dry. If you only receive but do not give, you will become puffed up. You need both. Two bodies of water near Jerusalem, or sorry, Israel. The Dead Sea is dead. 
because it only receives. The Sea of Galilee has life because it both receives and gives. So listen, the apostles gave themselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. They sat at the feet of Jesus. That's what pastors are expected to do. But they also serve. Paul says, I will gladly give myself for others. I will gladly be spending of myself for others. So do you see our tendency? Do you see our temptation to lean to one side over the other? So my final word of exhortation to you is this. Strive to maintain balance. Balance is the word in everything we do. Serving is needed, but not to the exclusion of worship. Not to the exclusion of spending quality time with the Lord so that you might grow to know Him more. Sitting at the feet is essential, but not to the exclusion of being lazy and doing nothing, watching everybody else serve. But I thought you said Martha was in the wrong. She was. But her wrong was not in her service. Her wrong was in her being pulled away from Christ because of too much service. Her wrong was in her prioritizing service over worship. So what can we learn from Luke 10, 38 through 42? We need to learn to pray for balance in the Christian life. Balance. Balance. We're talking about discernment in churches, discernment in church worship. Most churches have a myriad of programs and fellowships and go here and do this every day, every night, and there's this undue pressure and expectation. Well, if I'm going to be a faithful church member, I have to go, go, go and do, do, do. And they are not sinful in and of themselves, but it can become a distraction. And one thing is more needful. So may the Lord give us the needed grace to examine our hearts. May the Lord give us the biblical discernment to guide our steps in the days to come. And may we always remember that the spiritual strength of any church is rooted in the individuals within that church who walk in the fear of God. Busyness doesn't always equate spirituality. Wow, look at that church. Look at how busy they are. They have every program under the sun. Don't look to the busyness. Look to the members and see if they are striving to fear God and keep His commandments.